1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Thank you, Angela. I wonder is it possible, Sam, just to have yeah, there the reference on the screen, just in case you missed it, but I'm going to talk from that passage now, so if you didn't look it up or you switched it off or whatever, now would be a good time to find it in front of you. Uh, I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for uh, just uh, your word which speaks to us and the hope which we've sung of this morning and heard about in this world which is so broken and we pray for the help of your spirit. Please speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you about three Christians you might meet, you might know, or you might even be. Little images of them will, will appear on the screen. Uh, this uh, person to the left of the screen, he's going for a walk in the sun. He's the type of Christian you meet who says, yes, I've really experienced God in my life. Wow, so have you. But when you say, great, shall we study the Bible? Shall we learn about the truth? Shall we get to know doctrine together? They say, no, 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 that's not the type of faith I have. My faith is more about experience, about knowing God in my experience. The second person looking out the window, there's someone who comes to church uh, full of fear and worry, wondering, have they done enough? Have they been a good enough Christian this week? They look around at all of you lovely people and think, oh, they, they must all be better than me. They fear. Here's the third person walking along the road. They're by themselves because their view is, being a Christian is great. I love being a Christian, but the church... Being in a community of Christians, well, that's a sort of optional extra, isn't it? I have my own spirituality. You know, I've prayed about it. And God said to me, you don't really need to be connected to other Christians. Think about those people. The person who says experience is important but not truth. The person who lives in fear of never having done enough. The person who thinks they don't need to be in community. John's letter is written to those people. Now, he's written to those people, but he's in no way criticising them. His tone to people who feel like that, and you might recognise yourself, I certainly do at some stages, his tone is really 
open and kind. He's saying, dear friends, there's something better than what you're experiencing now. The people he's crossed with, John, is the people outside the church who are teaching these people these things. They're saying, oh, it's easier to be accepted if you just say, yeah, yeah, just have experience, no truth. It's easier for people to understand a religion which says, yeah, yeah, you do good things and then you can feel right. It's easier to say, no, don't bother with the community, it's all a bit awkward. It's those people saying that that John is aiming at. And John's reply to all of this is to say, listen, in these versions of Christianity, you're just missing something that's really, really great. You know, there's a way to have a faith that is not constantly having to move because of the shifting sands of your experience. There is a way to have a faith that is not just for higher level people who manage to do everything right for a week. There is a way to be welcomed so deeply into knowing God, who loves his son Jesus, that that spills out into a community that you live in. John actually says, God's love is perfected, is made complete in an imperfect community where we love each other. And he's saying, listen, if you're withdrawing from that or you're hiding because you think you've not been good enough or you um, just have lived from experience to experience, he's saying, walk into authentic, knowing who you are, accepted as you are, Walk in openness, repentance, without fear in a community. That's what's actually on offer here. Don't settle for less because people out there are telling you that's what's more acceptable. Now this bit of the letter, those three themes of the book actually come together in one bit. So the book so far has been a little bit like a week on this and a week on this and a week on this. In today's passage, all of these things come together. The truth that we're loved by God and that brings us into community, they're all in today's passage. And John's not telling anyone off, except the people who are outside the church, and then it's implied. He's just saying to the people in the church, be welcomed into this. It's better than what you're doing at the moment. Stop worrying about whether you can be in or out. Come and enjoy God in a community that loves. You can feel it and know it and be assured of it. Come on in. So here's the first thing John says. It's this. Your experience is from the truth. It should come up on the screen. Your experience is from the truth. Hi. Uh, I'm constantly sort of, surprised is the wrong word, I guess worried. Um, worried is the wrong word as well, because I'm about to say I'm worried about people being worried, and that's not what I'm trying to say. It's surpri surprising, shocking to me, how many people find this, coming here or coming to their small group or meeting with other Christians, an anxious experience. They feel a constant sort of pressing anxiety of like, is this really for me? How do I know it's for me? And John gives uh, lots of reasons, but he starts off in verse 13 saying, this is how we know that we live in him, in him and us. He has given us of his spirit. He starts off by saying, this is one of the reasons that we know 
We've experienced it spiritually. We've experienced the life of God in our lives. Now, John's a little bit mysterious about that. What exactly does he mean we've experienced the Holy Spirit? What is the experience of the Holy Spirit he's talking about here? We'll come to that in a minute. But remember, he's talking to people who are very into spiritual experiences. And so they would have said, yes, John, we have all had these wonderful spiritual experiences. We are sure because we've experienced the Spirit that... uh, we, we know that God lives in us, and we live in God, and we know that because we've really experienced it. But then John says, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. You see what he is saying? Yes, we feel the assurance that we do really belong here because God's Spirit has done something amazing in our lives, and because we believe the truth about God. And here it's quite specific truth that assures us, that builds that feeling of assurance, that God is a father. The father has a son, the person Jesus, who is God the son, and he has been sent into the world in order to save everyone. And what John's saying is we can be sure because we've experienced this in our lives, but that's not enough. The experience we need to share needs to be built on this same truth about God, that he is a father, he is a son, has been sent into the world. Uh, this is a sort of, would be a sort of tragic story if it was about me now. But a few years ago, I used to sometimes go clubbing. I don't want you to uh, picture this man in his 40s going clubbing. Um, and uh, I remember a few years ago, I mean, this is how long ago it was, and I'm sorry to use this word, it's not a nice word. But there was a song in the charts that was uh, in the hit parade that uh, was common in the clubs of the day that was about that was called Horny, Horny, Horny. Okay. And some Christians I'd been away on the weekend with were like, let's sing a Christian version of that and sing Holy, Holy, Holy. <laughs> I'm Holy, Holy, Holy. So we're all out, a group of Christian friends in this club, and this song comes on, and... Uh, this church elder is there with his Christian friends, and we're all like singing to each other, yelling at each other, holy, 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 over the top of this song. But of course, you can't really hear anything in the nightclub. And so there's this larger group of people who are all like, hey, loads of people are yelling the lyrics of this song, and starts joining in with us, but singing the actual lyrics. So here you have this picture of this church elder shouting with a large group of people, horny, 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 in a nightclub. But of course, then I was like, no, no, we've got to stop this. I'm not singing that. I'm not singing that. I'm singing another. But of course, you can't explain anything in a nightclub. So there we are having this shared experience. But the content of what we're experiencing is totally different. It is like what we are saying here really matters. We're not sharing. I am not sharing in what you're saying, just to be totally clear. Now, that is what John is saying, like here. He's saying, yeah, you can feel and know and experience assurance as a Christian, but you need to be grounded. This shared experience needs to be in a shared acceptance of the truth. We can all be saying, yeah, yeah, we're all singing here together. We all feel God. But we could actually be not doing that if we're not grounded in the truth that he gives us. The truth feeds our experience, and we need all of these truths he lists here. We need to be sure God is a father. Religions that teach God primarily as a rule maker, you know, God says you should do this, so you should. There's no assurance there, is there? 
if you primarily think that God is there to give you commands, then there's no assurance because you've never kept them. You're always wondering if you have obeyed enough. A father who adopts you into a family, there's assurance there. And you need to be sure that Jesus, the real historical person Jesus, is God the Son. You need that for assurance. If Jesus is anything else apart from that, a wise person or a spiritual being, he can't save you. He can't bring you into God's family. But if the truth is that Jesus is really God's son, your assurance you feel of knowing God is real. And if God the son became a person and walked here, we need to know he's the saviour of the whole world. I mean, I love the way John says that here as a matter of assurance, because he's like, I assume all my readers live in the world. I assume they were all born on the planet. See what he's saying? He's like, God sent Jesus into the world to save all sorts of people. Well, if that's true, that includes me. I can feel sure. There are lots of people who are concerned that the truth doesn't cover people like you, concerned there must be more to do. But anyone who knows these truths, the truths of a father and son and his amazing part to save, can be assured. We know that we live in him and he in us because we've experienced the spirit and because we know the truth and the two go together. Now these people had some sort of experience and John is saying you need to be grounded in actual shared truth or else you're just shouting words in a nightclub. You know, you're all joining in the dance but you're not actually sharing what you really believe. And that might be you. You might be here today and have some sense that God is there. You might have had a spiritual experience. That is great. But it's not enough. That experience needs to be grounded in the truth that God is a father. He is a son who saves the world. But I guess for lots of people in our church, it may be the other way around. We have the truth. You accept everything I've just said. But what do you mean we are assured because we have an experience of the spirit? Have we? When was that? I don't remember. And in fact, talking about this creates the exact doubt that John is trying to fight against. I don't know the spirit in the way that that Christian near me seems to. I remember I used to pray regularly with someone in an organisation I used to work for, and we'd pray. And at the end of the prayer, she'd always go, wasn't that amazing? Couldn't you just feel like the presence of God near us when we were praying there? And I'd be like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Did anyone else feel that? I thought... You know, we were just like saying a prayer. And that can be disorientating, can't it? Have I really experienced the Spirit? But the truth is, if you've trusted Jesus and be welcomed into the light of God's life, you will have experienced the Spirit. You might have been overwhelmed by God's love. You might have felt God comfort you. You might have found God shaping your character to make decisions you never would have made. John says you might even have been growing in a rational love for the Christians around you. You might have found yourself speaking up about Jesus or thinking that speaking up about Jesus is important when you never would have thought that otherwise. Now, just having felt that once is not enough assurance by himself, by itself. Just you once had a spiritual experience, good. 
needs to be grounded in the truth. But it's an important part of the Christian life, that. I mean, we are not just here repeating words, nodding along to sermons. There's more to being a Christian than that. The way the Bible describes the work of the Spirit, making us love Jesus, love other Christians, forming our character, those moments of sensing God, sensing God is there, you have that, and it's built on a foundation of a God who's a father who sent his son to save the world. Through both of those, you can be sure. There's testimony of someone in our church family, I remember them telling me once, about how once in their life they prayed a prayer of desperation that God clearly answered. And after that prayer, they sort of lived for years on and off as a Christian, still believing it was there, but not really affecting their life, until they sort of landed later at a church where the truth about Jesus was opened up to them. And suddenly they weren't just sort of banking on that distant prayer in the past. They were living now in the assurance that this is really real and true and it's life-changing. That's what John is talking about here. Experiencing God and knowing the truth about God is the route to be assured, peaceful assurance. And if you're tempted to be an experience chaser or listen to Christians around you, misguided Christians, saying you need this experience to really be there, we know from what we have already experienced and these precious truths that if we trust God, we're there. We're safe. We're in. But it's only a real experience if it is true. Here's the second thing we see in this passage. The truth is love to rely on. That should come up on the screen. The truth is love to rely on. Yeah, that's a nightclub. We've talked about that already. The truth is love to rely on. Think about the mistakes that you've made in life. Think for a moment about something you've done you wish you hadn't done. Now think about the reason you made that mistake, that moral decision you shouldn't have made, the words you shouldn't have said, the time you were greedy or lustful or used someone or you lashed out. Think about one of those moments. How much could have been different if in that moment you had known you were loved? You're loved personally by God, our Father in heaven. If you could have known, how would you have behaved differently? Now, this is not a regret seminar. God redeems bad things we do in the past. The point of this little exercise is not to bring regret, but to say... You can now rely on the love God has for you if you've experienced God and you know Jesus. You can make good decisions because you know you're loved. So God is a father in heaven. Before anything, he has always been perfectly loving his son. That's what John says. God is love. If we live in that love, that is, if we live relying on, knowing, trusting in that love, then we are living in God and welcomed into that perfect relationship he has within himself. And he lives in us. His spirit fills our lives. So we live in him and he in us. And relying on the love that God has for us is like the gateway 
into being able to live in the relationship with God all the time and to be filled by him every day. So the truth, God is love. That doesn't change. So why am I making decisions as if I'm not loved? Because I'm not relying on that love. I'm not trusting he will love me no matter what. I'm not trusting that his love extends to the deepest, darkest, most disappointing bits of me. And have you discovered that if you're living day by day, not really believing that about God, you don't really know him in your life? You find that when God feels distant, when you're like, where is God? I'm praying, not getting anywhere. I'm frustrated. Isn't that really because underneath you're not day-to-day thinking, I am so loved and welcomed by God? That's what John says. We know and rely on the love that God has for us. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. If you rely and live in that love, you will know God living in you. How many bad decisions have you made because you were anxious, not confident? How many bad decisions are you made because you need someone's affirmation rather than trusting God's love for you? How many times have you got that wrong? But there's an invitation here to live in a different way, in that love that we rely on God, so what comes out of us is good. And then John begins on a new theme, the day of judgment. This is a new theme for one John. He's just repeating Jesus' own clear teaching, the teaching of the church. One day, Jesus himself is going to bring everything in creation to a close. Jesus is going to judge everything that has happened in this world. All the powers that set themselves up against God, that have crushed the poor, that have divided humanity, all of those systems will be brought down. And Jesus died so that anyone can be reconciled to God. But Jesus will one day judge every system and person that has not done that, the day of judgment. How will you be if you're worried about that day? One of the things that we always try and avoid doing in our family is to sort of use the other parent as a threat. You know that? Wait until they get home. You might have uh, known that or done it yourself. Um, We don't like doing that because it sort of sets up quite a strange relationship with that parent, doesn't it? It's like, if that parent coming home is so terrifying, what's going on with you and that parent? Well, some people feel that way about Jesus in the Day of Judgment. Wait till he gets home. Then you'll be sorry you behaved in that way. And that's not John's view of it at all. He says, just say you know a day of judgment is coming and you already have the deepest possible peace with the one doing doing the judgment. The day of judgment is good. The God we love is going to win in the end. Well, that isn't going to lead to anxious fear. Hating God, really, because you're nervous he's going to tell you off when he gets here. That's going to lead to slow, faithful, gentle patience. That's going to lead to grace and forgiveness for your enemies. That's going to lead to patient working for justice in the place where you are. If you think judgment is coming, but the judge is the one you're already all right with, that will lead to not 
fear and panic and anxiety, but love for your community. I do think lots of Christians still think this. They basically think the day of judgment is wait till your dad gets home. They think, oh yes, you know, Jesus is coming, look busy. And if you're trusting in Christ, John says, fear towards God in that way, fear of punishment when he comes, is not a motivation. In fact, he says, love hasn't finished its work if that's what you're worried about. I had a friend who was brought up in a very traditional Christian environment with a very specific view of what would happen on the Day of Judgment. And she remembers very, the religious environment she was in was very much against going to the cinema. And she said, there was an actual illustration used in her church that just say you skipped church and went to the cinema. And Jesus came back. And all the people who trust in Jesus flew up in the air, which is what they thought would happen. And there'd be a big group of believers over the church and you'd be there by yourself floating over the cinema. <laughs> and Jesus would know that's where you've been. Oh, it sounds ridiculous, but I think it's the way that lots of us live. And um, John is saying, no, perfect love, knowing you are loved and accepted by God through Jesus, drives out that type of fear as a motivation. <clears throat> Worried what Jesus will think of you. Many of us are walking through life with an uneasy conscience, worrying, motivating ourselves to change that God might punish us. And if I say anything like John does in this passage about, yes, Christians become like Jesus, that immediately falls into, yes, I must be more like Jesus or I will get into trouble. And John says, God's love is about being completed with you in love. Someone once put it to me this way. The gospel is a three-step dance, not a two-step dance. Two-step dance is just like this. That's why lots of Christians live. They think, I'm told to be like Jesus. I must be like Jesus. I'm told to be like Jesus. I must be like Jesus. Oh, that is an exhausting way to live. The fear of punishment hanging over you. Have I been like Jesus enough? The gospel is a three-step dance. I must be like Jesus. I haven't been like Jesus. I trust Jesus. It's a three-step dance. Now, can you see that John is saying, have the truth because the truth is so good. It's so much better than experience without an anchor. It's so much better than thinking you have to constantly perform. It's so much better than just soldiering on as a Christian by yourself with no community. Warm yourself into God's own life through his perfect son. Can you see that if you do that, the way you become to other people is not harsh and judgmental and pushing them out and pushing them away? No one would ever do that with God and then say, I don't need another communi any community. Warming yourself with the community of God's love will push you out into community with others. The third thing we see, relying on love makes you love. It should come up on the screen. Relying on love makes you love. That's the dance. We love because he first loves us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother and sister 
is a liar. Two things just to say about this. The first is this, isn't it interesting? We love because he first loved us. Talked about this a bit last week. We tend to come into Christian community and be like, right, who's going to love me? And then I'll love them back. Hey, everybody, who's going to love me? I have needs here. Love me, and then I, I, I'll consider loving you back. And people say that type of thing about the church all the time, as if it's surprising that the church has failed them in some way. They say, the church was bad at loving me, therefore I don't have to do the Christian community thing anymore. Can you see that John won't have that? He says, we love because he first loved us. We don't gauge it on how you loved us. We love because he did. We draw down on that great reserve. And so John gets negative. Whoever claims to love God, therefore, and hates brother or sister is a liar. His logic is very clear. He says, you know, you can't actually see God. Do you notice it is easy to tell everybody you love God? Yeah, yeah, I really love God. Come on, prove to me that I don't. You can't do it. God's invisible. But God's image, the Bible tells us, is imprinted on people. Every person here is a representation of what God is like. Do you see what John is saying? You can't really claim that you love God who you haven't seen if you don't love the people who are in his image around you. The logic doesn't work. And can you see as well, he finishes by saying, and if you really love God, do you think you'd be interested in doing what he says? Of course you would. It's the God you say you love who says we should love our brothers and sisters. I think sometimes people think that loving other Christians is sort of like A-level Christianity. You know, like GCSE Christianity is like, you know, uh, serving on a team and coming to church occasionally and maybe reading the Bible by yourself. For John, it's all one piece. He's like, you can be totally assured that God loves you, but that will mean that you pour out love to other people. That's the way it is. Remember the three false versions. The version that says, I just have experiences, but I'm not grounded in the truth. The version that says, I'm constantly anxious in case I haven't done enough. The version that says, I have a relationship with God, but I don't need other Christians. I don't need the church. John is saying, dear friends, He's saying, listen, I'm not telling you off. I'm not having a go. We all get this wrong. But dear friends, let's walk into something better. Let's ground our experiences in the truth that we are loved. And then let's let that pour out in the way we are to others. Don't you want the real thing rather than the fake version? Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also love one another. Let's pray. Let's just take a few moments of quiet to reflect on what we've heard.
think about what we heard and This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. Lord, we pray for that assurance of your spirit. We pray for you to bring these truths to our hearts, that you're a Father, that you've sent your Son, that you're interested in saving everyone who there is, including me, including us. May that uh, give us confidence, peaceful, calm confidence before you that comes out in love to people made in your image. <laughs>